0: A few months ago, I found out that this guy I used to know was saying stuff about me that wasn't true. Stuff about the way I did business. The way I treated people. Now I hardly even know him anymore. And he certainly doesn't know me. And I have no idea why he started doing this. Though he was probably jealous. Anyway, I got angry. Really angry and I wanted to get even. I started dreaming of ways I could slander him on the internet, giving his business bad reviews, or how I could start my own set of rumors ensuring that the right people would hear them. The thing about getting even is you don't want to, well, get even. You wanna get more. You wanna do more damage. You wanna wreak more havoc. You wanna ensure more pain. There is no even when it comes to situations like this. I did finally calm down and come to my senses. Not on my own though. When my wife had gently reminded me of when I had done something similar. In anger I said something not so nice about someone and I couldn't take it back. He had every reason to get even. But he chose instead to be silent. And sometime later he sent me an email asking me for my forgiveness. If he had wronged me in any way. My forgiveness! That's called mercy. And I know how much I need to get better at giving it.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you. I uh, had the joy of speaking live at the Northwest Regional this morning, and what a bunch of great people out there, and what a time. It was just, it was just wonderful me to reacquaint and, and touch base with all of our folks there meeting at the Crowfoot Theatres in the Northwest. And uh, it's good to be back here. Just made it in time, And uh, just got the end of Justin's ministry, and Justin, thank you so much for being here and blessing us today. Amen? (laughs) Stanley Green tells the true story of a woman who, a number of years ago, stood in an emotionally charged courtroom in Johannesburg, South Africa, listening to white police officers admit to the atrocities that they had committed in the name of apartheid. Officer Van de Broek acknowledged that he, along with other officers, had shot her 18 year old son at point blank range. They partied while they burned his body, turning it over and over again on the fire that they had made until the body was reduced to ashes. Eight years later, Van de Broek and other police officers arrived to seize her husband. A few hours later, they came to fetch her. Vanderbrook took her to a woodpile where her husband, upon which her husband lay bound, she was forced to watch as they poured gasoline over his body and ignited the flames that consumed his body. The last words she heard her husband say were, Jesus, forgive them. Now Vanderbrook stood before her, awaiting the judgment of the court. The judgment of the court and the sentence for the crimes that he committed had yet to be determined. But before this woman went to the witness stand, South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission asked her what she wanted. I want three things, she said calmly. I want Mr. Vanderbrook to take me to the place where they burned my my husband's body. I want to gather up the dust and to give him a decent burial. Furthermore, Mr. Vanderbrook took all of my family away from me, but I still have a lot of love to give. And so twice a month, I would like him to come to the ghetto, And spend a day with me so that I can be a mother to him. And then thirdly, I would like Mr. Vanderbroek to know that he is forgiven by God. And that I forgive him too. I would like someone to lead me to where he is seated. So that I can embrace him. And he can know that my forgiveness is real. And as the elderly woman was led across the courtroom... Van de was so overwhelmed by it all that he fainted. And someone in the courtroom began to sing Amazing Grace. And soon everyone joined in, many with tears in their eyes. Now most people in our culture are shocked by such acts of forgiveness. They can't understand it. It makes absolutely no sense to them. Recently, I was talking about this with a friend who is not a Christ follower, and he says, I don't understand how anyone can forgive someone for something like that. He said, it's ridiculous to let someone like that off the hook for what he did. He deserves not only to pay for his crime, but to live with the pain of what he did the rest of his life. There's a lot of people in our culture who feel exactly that way. It was no different, actually, in Jesus' day. The Romans did not admire mercy at all. They admired justice. They admired vengeance. They admired power and strength. And they believed that mercy, like meekness, was actually evidence of weakness. And yet Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, the people in my kingdom who call me Lord and King... They live under my, those who live under my rule and my authority have a different mindset than those who are part of the kingdom of this world. They love, they extend grace and forgiveness in ways that seems ridiculous to many in our culture. In fact, he says, those who are merciful are blessed. They know unspeakable joy and true freedom. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So what is the meaning of mercy? Well, in the scriptures, the word mercy or merciful has two shades of meaning. First, it means to tangibly express compassion to someone who is in need. Mercy is not simply feeling compassion. That is pity. Pity is when you feel sympathy for someone's unfortunate circumstances, but you do nothing about it. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the story of a man who was walking on a road and he was attacked by thieves and he was left beaten to a pulp, laying on the road, left there for dead. Sometime later, there was a priest who came along and saw this man laying there in a heap. He stopped momentarily, but then proceeded to walk around him and continue toward his destination. Sometime later, there was a Levite who came that same road, saw the same man, saw the same situation, and walked around the other side and kept going toward his destination. And you know, I'm sure that those two gentlemen felt bad for this man. I'm sure they had pity on him. I'm sure perhaps they even muttered to themselves, Oh my, I wish I could stop and help this man. I wish I had the time, but I have this important meeting in Jerusalem that I need to get to. They had pity, but they took no action. Genuine compassion involves more than feeling pity for someone. It's doing something to alleviate the need the way that the good Samaritan did. He stopped. He tended to the man's immediate need. And then at his own expense provided for his care and recovery. I'm reminded of a story I read recently that that took place in the 19th century. Due to an un a fortunate accident, a man lost his one and only horse. A horse was a big deal in those days. This man had a family to feed. This horse was actually critical to his work. And he had no means to replace the horse. The man was so distraught that he just sat down at the side of the street next to his dead horse and began to weep. About that time, his pastor was out for a walk and happened to notice that there was a small crowd gathered around this man and his dead horse. Many of the town's folk attended the pastor's church and there they were expressing their sorrow for what he had just encountered. The pastor was saddened by the fact that all these people did For this hurting man was express empty words of empathy. And so after a moment, he got everyone's attention. And holding high a $5 bill, which back in the 19th century was a lot of money, holding high this $5 bill, he said, when I think of our brother's situation, I am sorry, $5. How sorry are you? And then he passed a hat that is what real compassion is it is not only feeling compassion it is not only telling someone how sorry you are for their misfortune it is not only sitting around with others pontificating about you know the sorry state of certain people's lives it's doing your part to alleviate the suffering to alleviate the hunger or to alleviate the re- the, the lack of resources People in God's kingdom are merciful, they care, they get involved, they get their hands dirty. Mercy is compassion for people in need, a compassion that seeks to meet that need. Furthermore, mercy is forgiving those who have wronged us. God's forgiveness of our sins flows from his mercy. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, we read that Christ saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Few stories illustrate forgiveness more powerfully than the life of Joseph. Many of you know the story. When he was a young man, his brothers were jealous of him, Resentment began to build up in their lives toward him, and one day they acted out that resentment, and they sold him into slavery. Because of their actions, Joseph endures loneliness. He, he just endures time in prison, false accusations for years. Essentially, the, the youthful years of his life are taken away from him. Years later, through the providence of God, Joseph's status changes from that of a prisoner and a slave to that of the prime minister of Egypt, second in command to Pharaoh himself. And the day comes when his brothers actually come to Egypt seeking food, for there is famine in the land. And Joseph has his guilty brothers at his mercy. He is in a position to make them pay, to make them pay with their lives. And yet he chooses to see things from God's perspective rather than his own, and he chooses to forgive them. In Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, you intended to harm me, But God intended it for good. He chose to see it all from the perspective of God. The merciful person forgives. He forgives because he remembers his own sin. And God's mercy on him. I'm sure there are a number of questions surfacing in your minds right about now. I think of Peter, when Jesus was talking about forgiveness in Matthew 18, asking Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive a person who has harmed me? When we talk about mercy, extending mercy and grace and forgiveness, there are often all kinds of questions that begin to swirl in our minds. Some of you undoubtedly are thinking about the relationship between God's mercy and God's grace. The reality is grace and mercy are linked very closely together in the scriptures. John Stott says that grace always deals with our sin and our guilt, whereas mercy deals with the result of our sin, the pain, the distress, the sorrow. Grace is a response to a person's sin, Whereas mercy is a response to a person's need. Grace cleanses. It redeems. Mercy helps and heals. Mercy actually precedes grace. Because mercy is compassion that flows from the heart. And it was God's compassion, it was His mercy that actually led Him to extend grace to us something we don't deserve. Which leads to another question. Some of you are are undoubtedly thinking about what's the relationship between mercy and justice? Well, justice is giving us exactly what we deserve. If I break the speed limit, which I almost did coming here from the Northwest Regional, and I am pulled over by the police, I deserve a speeding ticket. That's justice mercy on the other hand is giving less than I deserve I am receiving mercy when the police officer sees me weeping uncontrollably (laughs) and wailing about how my wife is never going to let me forget this and will rub it in for the rest of her life I'm going to pay triple quadruple the speeding ticket price in the years to come and knowing exactly how I am feeling the officer has compassion on me and instead of giving me a ticket, he gives me a warning. That is mercy. It's a wonderful thing. But I am receiving grace when I get what I don't deserve at all. Like the officer announcing that I am the one millionth person to be pulled over by the Alberta police over the last 50 years. And I have won a prize, (laughs) a $1,000 gift of cash. Thank you, Jesus. Grace is a wonderful thing. Now, some people do not understand how God can be both just and merciful at the same time to the same person. Well, the truth is, God does not show mercy or extend grace without punishing sin. You see, mercy or grace that ignores sin is false mercy. For example, parents who fail to discipline their children when they are disobedient are not demonstrating mercy or love. To sweep lying or cheating or rage or laziness or rudeness under the carpet with with the idea that you're being merciful or loving is an incredible deception. This is not mercy at all. This kind of mercy is actually very ego-centered. It's more about you than about, about them. It's more about your best interests than their best interests. And it reflects either a lack of love and concern for the child or a self-centered attempt to win the favor of your children by having no guidelines, by having no boundaries, which, as I said, isn't love or mercy at all. There is a cost that comes with being a parent. And sometimes that cost is you won't be very popular. But if you really love your child, if you really extend mercy to them, you will do what's right. You will have their best interests at heart. Whatever meaning you give to mercy must be applied to God, the author of mercy. And God does not ignore the truth or give a blind eye to sin and rebellion. You see, mercy is costly. In every true act of mercy, someone pays a price. God paid the price for our redemption through Christ. The good Samaritan paid the price for the fellow that was beaten up and his restoration. And so do we when we extend mercy. Many of us prefer to be merciful only if we can afford to be. As someone said, we prefer to give away the sleeves of our vest or the whole of our donut. That which costs us nothing. And yet genuine mercy inevitably costs me something. To be merciful means I pay the price, I bear the load for someone else. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid the penalty for all sins in order that God might be merciful for all sinners and extend grace to us all. On the cross, Jesus satisfied God's justice. And when a person trusts in that satisfying sacrifice of Jesus, God opens up the floodgates of his mercy and his grace. Now this is all wonderful and good. But some of you are wondering about those who take advantage of our mercy. The reality is there are people who are masters of deception, who will take all the, all, all the mercy that Christians will give them and never take responsibility for their own decisions in life. If you let them, they will sleep in your spare bedroom, they will eat off of your table, and they will use your car until Jesus calls you home without ever seriously attempting to take responsibility for themselves or their decisions. There are also people who are constantly asking for counsel, seeking all kinds of help over one unfortunate circumstance after another, and yet simply do not act on the advice that's given, or follow through on the opportunities that are provided, or make themselves accountable to those who are sincerely seeking to help them. As Christ followers, we need to ask God for His insight and His wisdom to know the difference between the con artist and the person who has a genuine need. And also for the fortitude and for the courage to deny mercy without guilt to the proven con artist or the person who has demonstrated more than once that they just aren't serious. But having said that, I believe that here in the West, our inclination is to conclude too quickly that a person is a con artist, that a person isn't genuine, and to withhold mercy rather than to give it. And I think it pleases God immensely when we are in doubt that we err on the side of extending mercy than on the side of withdrawing it or withholding it. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What did Jesus mean when he said, you will be shown mercy? Is this scripture teaching us that you can merit mercy by performing acts of mercy? Is Jesus teaching here that you can merit forgiveness, that you can merit salvation by forgiving others? Not at all. You cannot merit salvation, period. It is a free gift of God through His grace and His mercy. Again, Titus 3 5 clearly states it that Christ saved us not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what is Jesus saying here in this beatitude? He's saying that those who are truly God's children, those who have truly tested and tasted of God's mercy and grace and of his forgiveness, will themselves be merciful and gracious and forgiving. And as we are merciful toward others in this life, as we are forgiving of others in this life, we will receive God's ongoing mercy as he will hold us up He will even carry us as we go through hardships and difficulties. However, make no mistake, and please hear me clearly on this, we cannot claim to have repented of our sins and embrace the grace and mercy of Jesus if we are unmerciful toward the sins of others. Kent Hughes says, if we are unwilling to show mercy toward those who are in need, if we remain callous and indifferent to human need and refuse to do anything about it, we need to take a good long look at ourselves and see if we are really Christ followers. The Apostle John put it this way. He said, if anyone has material possessions... And sees a brother or a sister in need, but has no pity on them. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The same is true with respect to forgiveness. Now, again, I want to be so clear. We do not become Christians by forgiving others. However, if we will not extend forgiveness, then we really need to examine what's going on in our hearts. And we need to ask if we have truly experienced the mercy and the forgiveness of God ourselves. Now these are hard words, but the teaching of Scripture is clear. You can lead an outwardly moral life. You can be a faithful church attender. You can know all the right answers. You can even be totally involved in ministry. If you are holding a grudge against someone, if you are refusing to forgive someone, that parent that abused you. That teacher who slighted you. That mate who cheated on you. That business partner who left you hanging with bankruptcy. A boss who bypassed you and promoted someone else. A group of friends who didn't include you. The children that you raised who seemed to have forgotten you exist. The pastor who offended you or neglected you. If you are nursing resentment toward anyone, then you need to take an honest inventory of your life and see if in fact, if you truly know Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, and you have truly experienced his grace and forgiveness. Now, let me be clear. In all I've just said, I'm not talking about those occasional feelings of bitterness those emotional feelings that well up inside of you from time to time as you think about the person that you've forgiven. To forgive is one thing, to forget is another. But if we choose to forgive and we choose to remember it no more, to not nurse the hurt in time, the hurt will begin to diminish. Neither am I talking here about those of you who are just just badly hurt recently. You're still in a state of emotional shock over what's happened. And you just need a little time to process it. You intend to forgive, but you're just in that shock period right now. That's not what I'm referring to. Nor am I suggesting that if someone has broken the law, that forgiveness means that they are not accountable to the law and justice being done. That's not what I'm talking about either. No, I'm talking about you taking off your judicial robe and releasing that individual from your desire to see him pay for what he's done or what he's doing. The warning... Here is for anyone who simply won't forgive, who has no desire to forgive, who is determined to keep nursing their resentment. Those who refuse to forgive are revealing that they haven't experienced the grace and the forgiveness of Christ. For nothing, folks, nothing should move us more to forgive and to extend mercy like the amazing knowledge and the awareness that we ourselves have been forgiven. Or put a different way, nothing proves more clearly that we've been forgiven than our own readiness to forgive. Jesus taught this truth in the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. He said there was once a king who decided to settle accounts with those who worked for him. He called in his debtors and he said, Guys, it's time to pay up. One of those fellows owed him, let's say the equivalent today, $20 million. A sum so large it was impossible for him to repay it. When the king demanded payment the man fell on his knees before him pleaded with him to be patient with him his intention was to keep paying back all that he could as long as he lived after hearing his story instead of throwing him in prison the scripture says the king had compassion on this man real compassion just didn't feel bad for him He did something about it He canceled the debt completely. Can you imagine that happening to you? Most of you, the biggest debt that you have is probably your house mortgage. Can you imagine someone coming along and saying, Your mortgage has been paid? Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be just a little bit happy. There'd be just a little bit of joy that would spring up inside of me from the awareness of that. And this man had this going on inside of him. He left the palace grounds celebrating his good fortune. And a few minutes later, he passes a fellow employee who owes him 500 bucks. And the scripture says he grabbed the guy by the neck and began to choke him and said, Hey, you owe me 500 bucks. Come across with the dollars right now. And that guy got on his knees and said, Sir, he said, please be patient with me. I don't have it right now. I'll get it to you, but I don't have it right now. And he said, no way. And he threw him in prison. And when word of this got back to the king, he was livid. And Jesus says, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now we read this parable and we ask ourselves, how is it possible for a man who has just forgiven a debt of $20 million to turn around and refuse to forgive a debt of $500? I mean, when I read that parable, I'm going, you got to be kidding me. I can't believe this, and then as I began to think about me and my life, I suddenly realized it's not so hard to believe. Because at times I see myself doing the same thing that the unmerciful servant does. did. I embrace and I celebrate the amazing grace of God in my life on Sunday, and then I turn around and I demand justice from a person who's hurt me on Monday. See, I don't have a problem with mercy and grace if I'm on the receiving end. Do you find is that true for you too? I mean, you know, if mercy and grace is being offered to me, well, thank you, Jesus, you know, bring it on. I mean, I'll sing glory hallelujah when mercy is extended to me. I love singing about God's amazing grace. I'm even okay with that one little line there that refers to me as a wretch. A wretch like me, I'm okay with that. I can accept that. But it's something else to worship with a person who acts like a wretch. Or to extend mercy to someone who's hurt me deeply and I'm convinced that he doesn't deserve it. Forgiveness is a painful process because it seems so unfair. And yet the alternative is even more painful. Philip Yancey says the strongest argument in favor of forgiveness is the alternative. A world of ungrace. Living in a permanent state of unforgiveness and all of that ugly resentment being passed on from one generation to the next. Here in the story, Jesus told about this unmerciful servant. It says the king turned the unmerciful servant over to be tortured. Now, the word torture in the original language means to torment, which means when we refuse to forgive, we open ourselves up to tormenting thoughts. We open ourselves up to tormenting spirits. We open ourselves up to be tormented by anger. To be choked by bitterness. To be consumed by revenge. That's the price of unforgiveness. We, we build a torture chamber for ourselves. We build a wall around our heart. Resentment destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with other people. It even destroys our health. On the other hand, mercy is the choice we make that can set us free from all of this. It can set us free from all of this. Do you hear that? That's why Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful. Those who are merciful to others are the ones who are truly blessed. The ones who are joyful, the ones who are satisfied because they're free. As we wrap up, I'd like you to hear Dan's story. Who for years suffered the effects of resentment and unforgiveness until he was set free by the grace and the mercy of God. Watch this.
2: Well, you know, some of the best of the times were when I was young. I traveled all all over a, a lot of the uh, the western states, and I had really no leash on me. It was just like you know, you know, freedom. It was a bit of a, it was kind of a traveling job. It was always I paid cash. I was like a. Got to be the renegade that I wanted to be. Well, you know, I uh, one of the first things we we uh, would do. I was with a group of friends of mine that I grew up with. Is we you know we'd go out to the local pub, and that was a lot I don't regret. When I was twenty-two, It was, was probably my favorite year. Mm-hmm. Had a bit of an incident in uh, nineteen eighty-nine. I, th- I lost three close friends within three within three months. And uh, the only uh, refuge I could find, then I, I found, was, was was smoking cocaine. But uh, I didn't even have a sense of value left at that point, especially for myself. When I was seven, I was sexually assaulted by a group of boys at gunpoint that were older than me. You know, I I had a I had a fantasy, which didn't include mercy, and it was. I know I wouldn't find those particular guys, but I could find guys that look like them. I wanted to, I wanted to uh, attack these guys and with, with this bat until they stopped moving and breathing. While having that vengeance in my heart, th- that's all I could live for. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be showing mercy. I, I took a lot of pride in not showing people mercy. As I knew, I could always hurt him more with my words than my, than my fists. It just wasn't in me to, to physically do it because I knew that there's greater pain inside. We all recover from a bloody nose or a black eye in no time. But wounds to the heart, some never heal. A, a, a calm peace that it started to overwhelm me, and it, was, it didn't come without a lot of tears. And that that day is, why I mark it as one of the most significant days in my life. And so it's like more than a more than my birthday; it's actually a rebirth. That moment, it's it, it's it was like God. God brought all those people into the service that night. And the service was just for me. I'll never forget the the feeling I had, looking up at the screen and singing, singing those words. It was singing a lot of pain from my heart, but it was also rejoicing the hope that I had, in incredible mercy that He showed upon me. Was that uh, was actually the was actually the key to freeing to freeing me from the anguish and pain I had inside. Since I graduated from Freedom Session, I went on to assist uh, last year, and uh, this year, this year I'm facilitating a group of men, and I can, uh, I can see that the only way this is going to work is for me to take, to accept God's mercy and to spread it throughout. Because you know what, these guys, these guys need mercy just like every one of us. When I'm able to give mercy back to other people. I can feel fulfilled,, uh, compassionate, understanding, loving, loved, and extreme joy. If I could face those fellows that hurt me now, I' like to, I'd like to look into their hearts and see what hurts them. you know there's, you know, there's usually a not a good uh, excuse for for pain, but there's reasons behind it. And perhaps something I've learned through my my travels could help them from doing it to someone else or from their kids. That's uh, that's my only concern now. Is there's no there's no getting even. But one of the greatest visions that the Lord has that is that has painted clear to me is I want to make a difference in a, in a in a in a child's heart that has had something similar happen to me. I can I can show that mercy to be able to forgive and move on. And I can show that mercy to a child that's went through something similar as to me. But it's only through God's love and through the example I can set that I can help set that child free. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy.
1: Thank you, Dan, for sharing how God's mercy and grace set you free and also empowered you to extend his mercy and his grace to others. I just love these testimonies, these stories where people are just being real down to earth. As I said the first week when I was back, my prayer and hope is, is that we will just increasingly be people who are authentic and real and, and open and transparent about uh, the challenges we have but also the difference that God's grace and mercy is having um, in each of our lives. And so my question to you as we wrap up is, uh, do you have a hole in your heart? Whatever the hurt, whatever the abuse, the wound, the, the rejection, you have a decision to make. You can put the fire that's raging in you out, or you can heat it up. You can release it in Jesus' name, or you can keep nursing the resentment. You can let your hurt heal or you can let your hurt turn into hate. If you choose the way of resentment and hate, I hope you realize that you are keeping yourself chained chained to the person you are refusing to forgive. As someone once said, you are giving them rent-free space in your mind. Emotional shackles in your heart. The right to torment you in the small hours of the night. And you're headed for despair, if not destruction. Forgiveness is a choice that we have to make. It's an act of our will. You choose to let this person off your hook you kiss vindication goodbye, and you rest in the knowledge that one day God will make all things right. Well, it's not going to be easy. And it will feel very unnatural to do this. But if you have truly experienced God's mercy and grace, you have the supernatural power of Jesus within you to forgive and to let go. CS Lewis said to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. Jesus calls us to think of those that we have sinned against who have sinned against us and to ask ourselves since God has had mercy on me shouldn't I have mercy? on my spouse, on my child, on my boss, on my friend, on my neighbor, on whoever it is that comes to your mind. It's time, friends. It's time to forgive. It's time to release the offender. It's time to stop telling the story again and again, rehearsing the pain. So in closing, here's what I want you to do. I want you to reach into your bulletin and you will find a little card entitled, God is calling me too. And there's more than one in your bulletin. So would you just pass it to your neighbor? If you can't find a piece of paper, just um, ask the person next to you if they could share their card, tear it in half. And now I just want you to Just bow before the Lord and and say, Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, please reveal to me any bitterness that I'm harboring, that I'm nursing toward anyone. And I want you to write the name of that person, not the full name, no, just the initials of that person on that piece of paper. That person you're holding a grudge against. That person you're avoiding. That person you can't say anything positive about. That person who makes your blood boil when you think about them. Write down their initials. Just take a moment and do that. Now join me in praying this prayer. The Lord knows your thoughts. And so just join along with me in your heart as I pray this. Lord, the mercy which you have extended to me, the grace you have extended to me is unfathomable. I am so unworthy of it. Because I have experienced your profound mercy, grace, and forgiveness in my life, I forgive this person. I forgive these people for their sin against me. I'm taking off my judicial robe. I will no longer judge this person any longer. I'm releasing my right to get even, to get my pound of flesh. Lord, though I may not forget, with your help, Lord, I choose to see them and act toward them from this time forward as someone who has never hurt me in the first place. And Lord, right now, that seems almost impossible to do, but I ask, by your grace, you would give me the help and the strength I need to do that. I release them from my hook of justice, and I trust, Lord, that in your time and your way, you will make all things right. I'm releasing them to you. Lord, I admit to you that there's just been a lot of joy that's been sucked out of my life because of all of this. And Lord, I just want to start over again and I ask that you will fill me with your joy and peace once again. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, there is one more thing I want to do. I want you to do, and that is, I want you to take that piece of paper and I want you to fold it in half. And then I want you to get up out of your seat, and I want you to bring it up here and symbolically nail it to the cross. But we're gonna have you, we don't have any hammers or nails. We're gonna have you just simply put it in the bowls. You see the bowls around the cross. Um, Some of them are on the steps here. I just want you to put in the bowls. There are some pins in the bowls. If you really want to pin it to the cross, you can. But just so that we can get people up here and, and through, just put it in the bowls, symbolizing that you're nailing it to the cross. I invite you to do that right now. Would you? Come. Come and be set free. after you're done, just go back to your seat. Uh, We just have one more little thing, and then we'll release you. We'll let you go. While uh, we're celebrating this decision that so many of us have made, I just I just informed that 20 children um, uh, committed their lives to Christ up in our children's ministry. While the service is going on, and uh, and while we're waiting, you know I want Deanna to come up here, our amazing artist, and uh, Deanna. Um, deanna has been painting uh, in each of the services now she's been at different regionals as she's been doing this and um, just um, what god lays on her heart in terms of what the message is is saying and um, we asked her to do this and uh, we've just been blessed to see how god has used her uh, to capture the heart of each of the beatitudes and so deanna would you like to just talk about, if we could have the cameras focus in on um, uh, this, this particular portrait? Sure. Um, I imagine that as I choose to make the choice to act, move in an act of mercy instead of judging, holding bitterness or holding resentment, I imagine it's like a fragrant offering. To Jesus, and that's just what this represents like incense and just the offering. And this represents the, the drips and the hands and the splashes of color, how God gives back to me. And this is how He gives back. He gives back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, pouring into my
2: lap. My God is such an extravagant giver.
1: Amen. Thank you so much, Diana. Thank you. Thank you. Would you please stand? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you for sending Jesus to make it possible to be reconciled again with you. How different our world would be if everyone extended the mercy and the forgiveness that you've extended to us, to those who have hurt them. Oh, God, I pray that you would help us now to totally release that man, that woman, those people. And to once again, Lord, to know the joy of your salvation and the life you intended for us to live. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious name of God the Father.